0: Welcome to Momentum Church. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to get to Revelation chapter 2 in a second. And um, this is our second week in our series called The The, the Floor is Lava. And I think you get the gist that when there is impending danger, when there's something around us that is impending danger, that we can find a stable place, right? Everybody just kind of put your foot on the ground. Yeah, yeah, just a stable, a solid place of safety and provision. And, and I, 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 the, the, the purpose of this whole series is this sentence, that we want to experience God's blessing in the middle of increasingly heated times. Now, this was written 2,000 years ago, and those days at that time were very heated politically, socially, spiritually, amen? It was a very heated climate that this, these, these letters to these churches were written to. But guess what? 2,000 years later, it's still heated at times, amen? And when you get into a hostile environment, don't you want something, a place of safety? Now, I'm not saying you're not going to go into the world, amen? If you know anything about me, I'm not like run-from-the-world kind of guy. Amen? All right? I'm more like, hey, we're in this world, but we're not of it. Let's find a way in the midst of things burning down all around us to, to find some stability with Jesus and let Jesus be seen all around us. Amen? Amen? Because the world in some ways is a trash fire. Come on, somebody. Right? But Jesus, man, he is that one that we can come to and find some some footing, some some stability there and walk in some blessing. And it's good in the midst of hostile environments to have a vessel, if you will, of safety. I know that because this afternoon, did you see those canoes when you were coming onto the property today? Some of you might have saw them. Yeah, this afternoon I'm headed to the Okafinoki Swamp. And I'm going to jump into the Okefenokee Swamp, and I'm going to get in there with the, the canoes and the alligators. And guess what? I'm going to be glad that I have a floor underneath me, and I'm not in that water, eh, amen? I can't wait, though. I hope I see some big ones. I do. I do. And, and I was watching videos. I saw an alligator hit this kayak. And this guy, he rolled under the water. The kayak, he knocked him over. He had a GoPro head camera thing. And he goes under the water. And then he did that kayak roll move where they roll back up. And you could see when he came back up, he was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. You could just hear him, you know. And I thought that was amazing. The thing that was a little troubling is I don't know how to do that roll. (laughs) So... I don't. I really don't. So if I roll, it's not going to be a beautiful thing. So pray for your pastor this week, but I go into the water tomorrow morning, Monday, and I come out Friday, five days of canoeing through alligator-infested waters. But the floor is lava, but I'll be okay because I got a canoe. All right, so open your Bibles to Revelations 1. I want to start there first. I know it said two, but I'm going to start at one first. A lot of times when you think of Revelation, you think of all the impending danger, all the scary stuff, and And as I was talking about this with my team, you know, and talking about this over the last few months with different people, I had somebody just kind of say, so are you just going to kind of rail against the church for seven weeks? Is that kind of what the series is about? And no, not at all. There's a blessing that comes when you find how God wants you to live in the midst of the hostility, in the midst of the tribulations, in the midst of the struggles and strife, all the fire around you. And in Revelations 1.3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So there's a blessing that comes by looking at this prophecy and lining our lives up to it. And there's something beautiful about it because it starts with seven letters to seven churches, much like us. Wouldn't it be cool if you opened up the book of Revelations and it was like Ephesus, Thyatira, Sardis, Momentum? Yeah. Guess what it is? Yeah. yeah, it is. God has a word for each of us in this room. And every week of this series, something we can grab onto. To bring life change to us. So the letters to the seven churches, here's the thing about them. They were public. How many would like your mail read out loud? I'm just going to start calling Kyle, stand up. I'm just going to tell people what I don't like about you. Number one, he's very handsome. and I, I just don't like that. I just don't, you know. No, no. I would hate to have my mail read out loud. But, but this was this way. All these things spoken about these seven churches, all of them could read about each other. And it wasn't the idea that <laughs> at least I'm not as bad as Thyatira, or oh, Pergamum. Can't even say that name, Pergamum, you know. Uh, you know, it's a, no. It was the idea that I would look at those things and go, you know what? I'm not dealing with that now, but someday I might. <laughs> you ever notice that when you get saved, like your life starts to change pretty rapidly, pretty quickly, but then after a season of time, it's like, man, old things that you thought you had whooped. You had victory over, they start to come back. I I thought my mouth was controlled, and now I'm running it again. You know, am I alone in that? Yeah, yeah, no, no, okay, no. I know, I knew you, Kyle. (laughs) Handsome and a gossip. I knew that. No, I'm kidding. So, one of those things was, as you look at this, it's just like, yeah, I may not be dealing with that today, but I'm going to deal with that someday. And so, as we look at all seven of these churches over the next seven weeks, starting today, you know, basically, look for where God is speaking to you in those things, okay? Don't look at it like, oh, that's not for me, that's for somebody else. Almost every one of these will hit us somewhere, and they are very humbling. And they're meant to be humbling. God really calls some stuff out in our lives because he doesn't want the effects of culture. He doesn't want lava. He doesn't want all this stuff to to quench and to rob us of our influence to make a difference in the world. And so he speaks to us. So it's humbling, but also it's encouraging. You know what I love about God? He, He won't only say you're wrong. He'll also say, here's how to make it right. Don't you love that about Jesus? It's a bad parent that will point out how you're wrong without saying, here's how you make it. Everybody say right. And so that's what Jesus does. He doesn't just humble us. He also encourages us through exhortation. What that word exhortation means, he spurns us on. He gives us some stuff to live up to, to be challenged by, and to be striving toward. And so taken together, when you look at all these letters, it gives us a real good picture of what Jesus expects from his church. He expects us to be a faithful gathering of people who have a desire to overcome in our lives and to help others to overcome. And I believe he still expects that of us today, 2,000 years later. When you look at the different letters in the book of Revelations, you're going to see that there's seven elements that are in every single letter. And so, I want us to walk through these elements, and we're going to look at the church of Ephesus, and then we're going to ask the Lord to show us a couple things that we may need to be exhorted in, spurned on in, when it comes to our faith in Christ, all right? So, the first element that you're going to see in every one of these letters is each begins by stating who the letter is addressed to. In other words, God cares about you specifically. Is that good? He's not just saying to the believers. He's saying, no, to the church of Ephesus. I have a word for you. And so it begins with the letter who it's addressed to. Verse 1, it says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, I told you last week, what's crazy is the letters are written to the angel to deliver to the church. Guess who the angel gets to be? Me. Me. Yeah, me, I do. And, and, and not to get all heady and stuff, you know. I don't want my, my wings to get, you know, too flappy and my, my, my halo to pinch my, 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 my self-righteousness anywhere. You know. um, but, but the angel just means a good messenger, a messenger. And so the letter is given to the angel to go to the church, and that's how it starts. It's to the angel of the church of Ephesus. This is very specifically a word to the church in Ephesus. Number two, Jesus is identified as the speaker and a portion of his character is revealed. So here it says, Write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Some theologians would say that the church of Ephesus had become a little prideful, and they just needed to be reminded that, you know what, you're not Jesus, you're just held in Jesus' hand. Now that's a good place to be, amen. But that's that's a little humbling. You're, you're not the leader, he's holding you in his hand, okay? And so there's a word very specific over a church. And I love that. You know why I love that? Because there'll be people here today, they'll go, you know, I like momentum, but this church does this. <laughs> I know, and I'm glad they do. And well, I like this church, but that church does that. Well, yeah. Why? Because Jesus' character is revealed differently in every church. I mean, there's some core things. But every church, that's why we're all a big family. It's, it's one team. People often will say, is First Baptist your competition? You know? No, I could take Johnny. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, is First Baptist your competition? No, the golf course is our competition. Yeah. Amen? Alatoona yeah. Lake. Lake Lanier is our competition. It's not other church. That's our teammates. And every church has a different flavor because Jesus works his character in all of us in different ways. So I love number the second part that he identifies, he speaks to us out of a portion of his character that we need, amen? Number three, Jesus' knowledge about each church is noted. And so here's what he says. I know your works. Your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And you have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. That's good. He, he has an intimate awareness of the good things that we have done. And he expresses that knowledge. Number four, Jesus evaluates each church's condition. And he expresses that. Watch, number four. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you first had, or you had it first. Some people will say, your first love, you've abandoned that. Number five, Jesus commands the congregation are declared. Those things that he wants to speak for the congregation to do. He said, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen... Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans which I also hate. Verse seven, Jesus is calling. Verse seven, it says that he, he it says, He who has an ear, let him hear. Okay, Verse, this is, so number six is the idea that Jesus says, a call to those who, 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 who should hear. That doesn't mean we'll answer that call. That's how it was when Jesus would teach. He would say, those who have an ear to hear, let them hear. All right? There wasn't an epidemic of earless people in Palestine. It was the idea, are you willing to hear and respond to what I am saying? So you see that at the end of every one of these letters to the churches. And then finally, the seventh one, Jesus offers a promise. I love this. Verse 7, or verse, um, yeah, at the end of verse 7, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. There's there's eternal blessing for the one that overcomes, the one that conquers. I'm not going to get into the one that conquers much today because other churches he gives that promise to also. That's a big part of the book of Revelations is those in the midst of hostility being able to be overcomers. And the word conquer is a good word, but I like the idea of overcoming, all right? So conquer sounds like we're trying to defeat somebody. Guess what? The person you most likely need to defeat is sitting in your chair. Right? So so I'm not I'm not just conquering myself. I'm overcoming those things that, that hold me that hold me back. Amen. Let's pray, Father, in the name of Jesus over the next few minutes, would you just guide our heart? Let us not look at Ephesus as a church 2000 years ago. Lord, let us look at ourselves and ask, Lord, that you would do a work with this church. I, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your, your dwelling place makes it, his abode within me, Holy Spirit. And so, this church, have your way with this church. Have your way with each individual person here and with momentum as a co- cooperative fellowship, God, as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all know I like history and I can't teach these letters without doing some history teaching. Is that okay? How many like history? Okay, good. Like four people. That's awesome. All right. So, but when it comes to the church at Ephesus, um, it's the only church that we see that two different apostles wrote to. So we see Paul writing a book, literally the letter to the church of Ephesians, is a letter to the church in Ephesus. And then you see John writing the book of Revelations under the unction of the Holy Spirit. You see John. So both of these men, both Paul and John, write. When Paul wrote to the book of Ephesus, you know, this would have been 40 some years before this. When he wrote, it was at a time when the church stood at the pinnacle of spirituality. They were full of the fire of God. the The, the flames of Pentecost, the revival that took place in Jerusalem, had lit Fire to this city in Ephesus, which it just had lit fire, and the church was just at the pinnacle of its supernatural spiritual, spiritual history. All right. And of all the truths revealed through Paul, I I just feel like nothing excels the book of Ephesians. When you read Ephesians, it's just it just lays out such good truth about Jesus and how to live for Christ. It's beautiful. And so when John writes 40 years later, He's writing to the city of Ephesus, to this church in Ephesus. It's during a time of crises in the church. There's things going on. Yeah, the furnace is there still, but the fire's gone out. The structure is there in the church. They're doing a lot of stuff right, but, man, there's no fire anymore. There's no passion. The the stuff they're doing right is a little bit more out of duty and obligation than out of of passion. You know, think about that first love. Like, Like Amy, when I first fell in love with her, you didn't have to tell me to kiss her kissed her readily often and with great passion now i'm leaving the house and she'll be like you're not going to give me a kiss goodbye no <laughs> no <laughs> my favorite thing about my grandmother if you were walking out the door and she'd say you didn't give me a kiss you go bye grandma and she'd say honey that fine sugar won't do <laughs> That was a good hillbilly, Pikeville, Kentucky thing. That fine and sugar won't come, come. But, you know, that first love, you, you start to forget that stuff. You know, the fire starts to go out. And there was still a measure of warmth, but the coals no longer had that bright red glow of that early relationship. The church of Ephesus was now merely just dull and a dying glow. And so the problem with that was they had done a lot of stuff, Right? They really had as a church. They could list, like Jesus even said, here's five things you've done good. And you know what? We could do that. We could say, but look, I've done this, this, this. I do that with Amy. Like, when I'm not doing really good, I'll give her the list of good things I've done. How many husbands do that? Be honest. I know I didn't do that, but honey, I did this, 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 this. And she'll say things like, I don't need a list. Why is she saying that? Lists don't speak about passion, y'all. Now you're going to go home and be like, pastor has a passionless marriage. Nope. (laughs) I got to take a break. (laughs) All right, no. (laughs) But it's not about the list. It's not about going, but I did this, 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 this. I know you did all those things, you know. They did a lot of stuff right, and they did a lot of stuff right in a very trying time. You see, what well, Ephesus was a city that was right there at the port, it was right there um, just a little bit north of that island of Patmos. The first port city was Ephesus, and it was one of the top three cities of that time for trade, okay, Antioch, Ephesus, and Alexandria, that was, that was where the three big cities there in the west at that time for trade, and everything came through there, so all the crazy beliefs and, 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 and religious kooks would come through there, all the crazy practices would come through there, it was just this place of, of kind of a, a, a hodgepodge, it reminds me a lot of America, I'll just be honest, okay? Very keyed in and tied into entertainment. The theater was big. They actually had a stadium even, like sports were big. They had a stadium that sat 25,000 people. You would come off the boat, basically, and there's a, a dock, and you'd walk down that dock. If you go there today, you'll see, I think it's 160 columns that are broke most of them are broke down but you can see where this giant stadium was that's where their their emphasis was as a city and 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 the church at ephesus is trying to do a good job they really are they're trying to keep the main thing the main thing they're in the crossroad of civilization at that time they were very important politically that city was extremely important. Um, Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul are the ones who had planted that church in Ephesus. You can see that in Acts 19. And what's really neat about it is Timothy. You guys remember Timothy? He had went there, and he had ministered in Ephesus. You remember Paul even told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. You're a pastor, but do the work of an evangelist. And so Timothy even went there and preached in, in, in Ephesus, you know. And in other words, that church could say, you don't realize who founded me. Do you know who founded me 40 years ago? Paul. And Priscilla and Aquila, they founded our church, glory to God. Take a lot of pride in that history. We had some of the best evangelists ever come. Man, Timothy came and he preached, he shouted, Glory to God. We sure had a time in Jesus. There's a great history to the church in Ephesus, there really is. Political stuff happening. Cultural stuff happening in the city. The church is bumping and and greatest speakers of the time are coming through in the early years, you know. And now a letter leaves the Isle of Patmos written by John, the revelator. Jesus is literally given in this revelation. And Jesus has some good things to say about that church. But he also had some things to call out in that church. So this letter would leave Patmos. Literally, those letters that went, the book of Revelation, those letters, they would arrive first at the port of Ephesus right there. That's the first city. That's where that journey of those letters would begin. And the next thing you know, there's seven churches, which is kind of neat, and that follows the major Roman road up through that area. I don't know if you realize that. And they're in the order of how they would have been delivered. And so, you know, you're going from, from Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamum, and then southeast over here to Thyatira. and then on to Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. In that order is how those letters would be <coughs> given. And so I just want you in your mind, this is real people. This is a real letter be like a letter showing up out here at this mailbox and me coming in and saying, guys, i got to share this with you guys. And guess what? The same Sunday, man, up here in Ackworth, <laughs> those people in Ackworth really need Jesus. Over, they're reading a letter, too. And up in Canton, they're reading a letter. You know what I mean? Just get that in your mindset. This is not just some story. This, this happened. This is real. But it still has merit to us today. Ephesus, as I said, it was that center of, of everything, and something about it that you may not realize, it was actually a free city. What that meant was they were doing so well, prosperous-wise, that the Roman government just kind of kept their hands off of it. Y'all be you, Boo. you just do what you're doing, you know, and they, and they were kind of, a, just reminds us a lot of America, you know, good commerce, a lot of freedom, a lot of entertainment that, that captures our attention. And we're trying to be the church in the middle of all that stuff, you know? And so that's kind of how Ephesus was. And so Paul had ministered in Ephesus for three years... And he had warned the Ephesian believers that false teachers were going to come, and they were going to try to draw people away from the faith. And guess what? They did. They tried to come. They tried to draw people. This is that seedbed of culture and civilization. So there was always the newest thing coming down the pike for people to jump on. And the false teachers, they did try to bring problems to the church in Ephesus, but the church resisted them. And we can see from letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, who had stayed in Ephesus, that that, that the church had resisted them. We can see all through the New Testament how Ephesus is rising up and doing right. And so early years of the church, it was characterized by miracles and great growth. That's what it was characterized by. And then as you look at this scripture, this letter going to them, you can see there's two themes that emerge in the story of, of the church at Ephesus. And the first is that of struggle that of struggle. There's an ongoing fight against false teaching and false worship. We can see Paul establishing his ministry there in the community and Priscilla and Aquila doing ministry and they're trying to coach Apollo in proper theology because people are coming around and this is my teacher and that's my teacher and, and all this pride and arrogance and they're trying to fight against all that. So I'm just saying they're trying to do a good job, all right? And what we see is Jesus comes along and he commends them for five things. We've already read them. I'll just say them one more time and put them on the screen for you. So they were working hard. I love that Momentum Church is a hardworking church. Do you know we have a newcomer's dinner. When we do our newcomer's dinner, you know one of the first things? As soon as it's over, guess what we do? These are people that aren't members yet. As soon as newcomer's dinner is over, I say, okay, everybody, let's put up the tables and chairs. Do you know why I do that? Because I'm not going to have lazy Christians going to my church. Come on, somebody. (laughs) I'm serious. This isn't a country club. This is a group of people. We love each other. We take care of each other. And we watch out for each other. And if we can't do it in the house, we definitely won't do it outside the house. Amen? So I get you serving here so you'll serve out there. Smile. I love it. And I thank you, Chaz, for washing my car. That was so nice of you. No. No. I don't do that. I don't take advantage of it. Amen? But if you ever wanted to, I wouldn't stop you. No. So they work hard. Number two, they, they persevere. They have patient endurance. They're going through a lot, those 40-some years, up to this letter being written. And they've had patient endurance. He, he commends them for resisting sin. Literally, you do not tolerate evil is what they told them. Which that's Awesome. What was one of the evils that they were dealing with? It says it in the scripture. They did not believe the lies of the Nicolaitans. Who were the Nicolaitans? They were believers. They were Christians who had bought into Gnosticism, which is that mental ascent, that mental understanding. And Gnostics would separate the mind from the body, the mind from the spirit. They looked at your life. I can do one thing in the spirit. I'm a child of God. But I can do another thing in my body, and they don't have any correlation to each other. Well, Think how problematic that can be. Well, that's the Nicolaitans. So they actually, in their act of practice of faith, they would be very sexualized, you know? Because it doesn't matter what we do in our body. It doesn't affect our spirit. But all through Scripture, it talks us that we're supposed to stay pure sexually until we're married. Amen? Amen? I know you guys hate that. So, But I'm just being honest, okay? But the Nicolaitans, now let's get off that, the sex stuff. You can use it with anything. You know? Well, you know what? I know my mouth is gossiping, but my heart is leaning toward Jesus. Is it? You need your mouth to lean toward Jesus. Amen? Right? Next time somebody's running their mouth, could you just, just like, you need your mouth to lean toward Jesus. <laughs> But that's how the Nicolaitans were, you know. They they, they did not see that Jesus, I love Jesus because he wants us to be holistic. The first holistic ministry was Jesus' ministry. He wasn't going to let you be divided. Why? Because divided things are conquered. And we're supposed to be overcomers. So we are the same mind, body, spirit. Why? Because he's the same mind, body, spirit. We lean into him. There's no shadow of turning in him. I don't want there to be a double-mindedness in me. The Bible says the double-minded man is unstable in all his, his ways, right? And so the Nicolaitans, man, they stood up against the Nicolaitans. Really strong, really fierce. I love it. Then the next thing, critically examining the claims of false apostles. People would come in and say they were something special. Man, they judged it. They tested it. They rebuked it if they needed to. That was a good thing. Enduring patiently and bearing up without becoming weary. Man, years of being patient. But listen, this church had continued in its faithful service to God, like I said, for more than 40 years. And all of these characteristics, they show a busy church doing good works and suffering willingly for the cause of Christ. Wouldn't you think that's awesome? Wouldn't that be something that there would be nothing to speak against it? This church was full of good works. It had a magnificent program, if you will. But guess what? Correct doctrine isn't enough to make a church strong, even when you add a good dose of service. Correct doctrine alone. In other words, doing the right things without the right motivation will fail you over time. That early church was characterized by miracles and great growth. But then they just began to go after, this is what I do. This is how we do it. This is the system. This is the program. While the next generation... Lost it. And we can look at the next generation and say, what's wrong with them? I'll not do that. Do you know why? Because the fire was lost in the first generation before the second ever became dull. Amen? There's no second generation Pentecostals. What I mean by that is you need a fresh fire for yourself. Amen? We need a fresh fire for ourselves. That's what was going on here. And so, yes, there is a theme of struggle, and they have overcome, and they've done a lot of stuff right. They've done the list. Look what I'm doing, Jesus, for you. Pop, 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 pop. But there's no passion in a list, there's passion and love. Amen? With this idea of something fresh for young people, I, I, I really feel in my heart, and we've been talking about this as a staff for a little season. We want to have a prayer night for young people, not for young people to come, all right? This is for us to intercede, for us to get the fire first, amen? For us to lean into our first love first so we can have a fire that can be, a fire that lights the next generation. Come on, amen? So on the 27th, always during our fasting, what we're doing now, we always have a night of worship and prayer. This is a night of prayer from 7 to 8 on the 27th, Wednesday, and it's gonna be focused on praying for our children, through 20, 25-year-olds or so. You know, basically, our children, our young adults, or our teenagers and our young adults. And I want you to fill this house. We're going to come here and we're going to intercede. Amen? And, 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 and we're not bringing the kids. This is just for us to go after God, okay? And so there'll be prayer points and various things for us to be praying about. But, but I just, man, I just want us to have that fresh Pentecost for us so that fresh love, that fresh fire that people need to see, they'll see. Amen? So put that on your calendars. So that first is struggle. The second theme from the book of Ephesus is the story of love, love. So Paul spent about three years building relationships in the town of Ephesus as he ministered there. So it wasn't surprising in Acts 20, you see when he's leaving there, they're crying, they're hugging, you know, they're, they're kissing each other. I mean, it's a, it's a loving community, Right. And love is the theme that you find all throughout the book of epistles, of the book of Ephesians, the epistles, of, to the, to the letter to the church of Ephesians. D- let me read this scripture. This is Ephesians 3. I pray that you may have your roots and foundation in love so that you together with all God's people may have the power to understand how broad, how broad, how long, how high, and how deep is Christ's love. I want, when I say another generation, I'm not just talking about young people. But those who are not followers of Christ, that's your next generation too, amen? They may be a 60-year-old person that's never followed Christ. That's a generation to this church, the next generation. And I want us to have such a love in such a way that it causes us to have the power for them to see the deep, high, amazing love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what was going on because they had all the stuff down. They had the ritual down. They had the practices down. They were just starting to lose lose love. And so that love comes across as Unity. And it's crucial, not only in the unity of bringing together Jews and Gentiles of that day, but also there was a unity of them using their gifts together. There was a unity of them ministering together. And in Ephesians 5.1, your life must be controlled by love, just as Christ loved, loved us and gave his life for us. Love is a very strong theme to the church in Ephesus. Jesus condemned the church of Ephesus for just one thing. Five commendations, one Thing that he condemned it for even though the church members had stood fast against evil and false teaching they had left their first love basically their basic love for christ and for one another they had left it and i really think that word first love is referring to the maxim to love god with all your heart soul and body and love your neighbor as yourself you you can't love god to be ugly to people You can't love God and hate Democrats. You can't love God and hate Republicans. Your pastor hates them all. No. You can't love God. You see what I'm saying? You can't. No, no, no. You have to love God and love people. That's what this challenge is to us. Ephesians 1.15. Love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. We see that in Acts 20, verse 35, and Acts in Ephesians 1:15. All this word coming to Ephesians is about love. It is the devotion to Christ that so often characterizes the new believer, that devotion, that love that new believer has. And I hate it. It breaks my heart when you see a new believer who's so in love with Jesus and so in love with his church. That's where that whole brother thing came from. Because it was just like, I got a brother? Chaz, you're my brother. Hey, brother, Chaz. You know we don't say that stuff anymore. I grew up in a church where it was sister this and brother that, right? But that new believer, it was just like, I've got a brother, Gary. You're my brother, Amen. Charlie. <laughs> you're my brother, Tom. You're my brother. Man, it feels good. I love that, right? Come on, that idea of being able to. have. But here's the thing: you got that new believer, and he's loving Jesus, and he's loving his brothers. And guess what? Ten years later, he's as bitter as the rest of us. we wonder why generations don't want to walk after Jesus. But, 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 pastor, we do this, 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 this. I don't smoke, drink, cuss, or chew, and I don't date girls who do. Unless they're really cute. <laughs> no. No, I don't. Well, I don't care about your list. Where's your love? That, 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 that speaks to people. Amen? And I've seen it with believers. And we lose our love with Jesus, and then we start to get bitter toward people. Hmm. I'm almost done. I'm almost done, y'all. Both Jesus and John stress love for one another as the authentic truth of the gospel, of the good news. No greater man, love hath a man than to lay his life down for a friend. It's love, guys. And so in the battle to maintain sound teaching and moral and doctrinal purity, it is possible to lose a loving spirit. Yet we need both. We need doctrine and moral purity, yes, but we also need love. And I do realize that struggle, that's what they were fighting there in Ephesus, the struggle, the struggle. A prolonged conflict over time can weaken and destroy patience and affection. You know how it is. You got tense tense things coming at you, and all of a sudden, as a boss, you snap. Staff, have I snapped? (laughs) And they lie. Yeah, I mean, that just That's part of life, that tension. You know what I mean? And then you you don't act out of love. You snap. That's what it's speaking to here. They've been dealing with struggle and they've been trying so hard. But in defending the faith, we got to guard against any structure or rigidness that weakens our love. They're not worthy of our love. I didn't see that in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying that we're not looking at things, judging things, being wise. Okay? I, do, I think there's doctrine. There's moral purity. I'm not saying that. But how do we come across with those things? This was definitely a busy church with lots of great programs, but no amount of activity, however intense, can compensate for a lack of love. The world needs to know that the floor is lava, but There's safety. There's a place of refuge. And I believe it's Jesus, but I believe it's in Jesus' bride. It's in the church. But they're not going to see that unless there's, there's love. So, when our motivation is duty rather than privilege, it does not take long for a people to begin to forget. And the next generation misses out. The next generation comes along and they see the actions of the previous generation, but they don't know why they do what they do. Like, like, why do we take up an offering? Oh, they're taking up money again. Because last year we were able to do over $40,000 to people around the world that were in need. From missionaries to people affected by COVID to other churches that were smaller than us that needed video equipment to be able to do their services online. Thank you. Give yourselves an applause. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving. We tithe so that we can help people. Amen. That's a form of love. We're showing love. That's why we give. Why, Why do we meet on Sundays? Because we really like to be together. Amen? Hmm. Why should we not mingle the doctrines of the world with, with our script? Because we love Jesus. We love what his word teaches us. So it comes out of a place of love. If we don't pass on the why with the, why, the how, we are robbing our children and the next generations that follow. So it's not just important to believe correctly, but we also must love Christ and others deeply. And so we see Jesus commending them for five things, condemning them for just one, and then we see him commanding them two. The Ephesian church receives two commands. The first is to remember. He says, remember. That's a call to reflect, to go back. The Savior is saying, remember the way it used to be in your relationship with me? Remember how it used to be? Start to recognize and look back at how it once was. So we remember. And then we go, yeah, it's not that way anymore. So then guess what we do? Number two, We repent. So we remember and we repent. This week as we fast, I want you to ask the Lord to begin to show you those things. What's standing in the way of my love toward God? What's standing in my way of my love toward others? What is it about, I'm not going to give you anything. I want you to just pray in your fast and ask the Lord to show you what is standing in my way. What, what, I'm going to remember. Yep, I'm missing it. I'm recalling back. I'm missing things. And now I'm going to repent. So what's standing in the way? Once he begins to show you those things, remember, remember when he shows you, you have to act. Amen? No man has truly repented when he does the same things again and again. The proof of repentance is a changed life. A life changed by our effort in cooperation with the grace of God. It's not just you, but you lean into his grace and he will help you. But repentance must lead to action or it's not true repentance. And so the repentance leads to action. What was the action? Do your first works over. So you have forgotten your first love, so now do your first works over. For some of you, maybe, maybe you are baptized as a teenager and fell away from the Lord and haven't served God in a long time and you've come back to faith in Christ and you want to be baptized. Next Sunday, we're having baptism. That's a great first work. You know what? I'm going I'm to identify with Jesus again publicly. I'm not saying that you need to get baptized every other week, amen? I'm talking about a life-changing moment, a life decision. It's not your mama's faith no more. It's your faith. You need to be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, you haven't even done that first work yet, Do the first work. It'd be like, Amy, I love you, but I never take her on a date. No, do the first work. That's baptism. Amen? Some other first works. Confessing sin, prayer, studying the word, meditating, memorizing scripture, having fellowship with believers. Really just that idea of the first love, being occupied with Christ and focusing our life on him, our faith on him and allowing everything in life to line up to that. Amy, when I was dating her at the first church I worked at, they would would say, how is she so sweet doing? I didn't realize that's what I would always say. Uh, They would say, so how's how's Amy doing? I'm like, oh, she's so sweet. I was like, oh, she's so sweet. She was on my mind. I was always concerned about her, wondering how she was doing. She's so sweet. Have that kind of affection for Jesus again. Have that kind of affection for his people again. When somebody's like, man, I I have a prayer need. I'll pray for you, and that's where it ends? No, I'll pray for you. And you literally begin to pray. And a couple days later, you're calling and following up. And how are things going? And you know what? When I was praying, the Lord spoke a word to me. Do you know we believe in the prophetic around here? And so I was praying, the Lord spoke a word to me. And I feel like I'm supposed to tell you this. And then you, you know what? The Lord would have you to know. And you speak that word of prophecy to them. And they can judge it and look at it and say, yeah, that's for me. I needed that. Thank you. Well, that's the Lord speaking. I love it. So I want you guys to come and be baptized next week. Come out for fellowship. We're going to end the fast on the 31st with breaking the fast with breakfast. Oh, come on. Biscuits, gravy, and Jesus? No three sweeter words ever. Clean out my biscuits, gravy, and Jesus. So 5 o'clock. Well, that's just a church dinner. No, it's not. It's your family coming together come out that night, amen? This whole sermon's not about getting you to come to a dinner, okay? I'm just saying that's part of that fellowship of getting to know each other. And So it says here that if you don't do these things, the lampstand will be removed. Does that mean you're gonna lose your salvation? No, no, no. The lampstand was that physical witness to the city of who Jesus is. And guess what? The lampstand was removed. Ephesus did not learn And the fires of revival went out in Ephesus. Today we have an opportunity as a church. Will we allow the fires to go out here? Will we embrace our first love for him and for each other? Amen? Let's close our eyes for a moment. Jesus, I just ask that this week you would give us clarity of the things that are standing in our way of loving you fully and the things that are standing in our way of loving others fully. That we wouldn't stack our list up and compare it to others. We wouldn't stack our list up and say, but but, but I'm better than this or that. Or, No, no. We would just look to you. God, I want to love you more fully. Show me how. God, I want to love people more fully. Show me how. And in that place of just simplicity, that you would breathe a fresh fire into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www momentumchurch.tv